Red lady, red lady, show us your face. Damien Angelica Walters, Dead Girls Club. Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Devin. And today we're going to be looking ahead to the rest of 2019 as we take a look at some of our anticipated releases for the second half of the year on this episode of Books in the Freezer. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash books in the freezer. Happy listening. So it's that time again, talking about new releases. I feel like it's been a good year for horror. I've had a lot of great... I feel like I've enjoyed a lot of horror movies that have come out this year. Examples? Uh, well, I mean, they've all been like chilling obsessions. I really liked like Braid and The Perfection. Uh, I told you I'm going to go see Midsummer tomorrow. I'm really excited about that. Us. Us came out this year. I saw that. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, I I totally agree. Like, aside from that, I mean, the, the book's... That have been coming out from the anticipated reads uh, in January. Um, you've read some of them by now, right? For sure. Yeah. So I have read quite a few and I've at least acquired some of the other ones. So I read like Where Stars Don't Shine, Break the Bodies, Haunt the Bones. Um, I, I bought Growing Things and Other Stories. I pre-ordered it. So it just got delivered to my house a few days ago. And I read The Dark Game by Jonathan Jans all of them pretty good like most of them are four star raids yeah it's been a good year for I'll, i can speak towards the horror game market uh games like like duck season uh plague tale there's a bunch that's coming this year that's been pretty great as well like legitimately well done horror games and that's not easy to come by so yeah it's been a really good year so far for the genre in general nice so yeah so basically across all mediums it's uh 2019 has been a good year but enough of talking about the past how about the future? And we talked about how this isn't encompassing all of horror because, as you mentioned, indie authors don't often give months worth of notices before they drop their books. Yeah, so. this is definitely, definitely not a comprehensive list by any means. There's, there's not as many indie offerings on this list as I would like but again that's a lot of that is mainly because there's not generally a lot of of notice given sometimes for these releases and sometimes they're just hard to find um even myself who again i like immerse myself in the indie world sometimes have trouble doing this so if you are listening to this and you are an indie author by all means get in touch email um tweet whatever because i would like to hear about your book but for now, this is the books that we were able to track down uh, that are coming out this year and are pretty exciting. 
All right, first up, we have a novel by Cody T. Luff. Uh, it's coming out on August the 13th, and it is called Ration, published by Apex Books. Uh, the synopsis is as follows. Set in the far future, Ration is an unflinching take on the ways society can both thrive and go wrong as pressure to survive builds. All the girls who live in the apartments are forced to weigh their own hunger against the lives of the others living in the building. When Cynthia is wrongly accused of ordering an A ration, she's punished by the other girls. Eventually, she is forced to leave the apartments, along with Miss Glenock, one of the former managers, who has tormented and abused her for years. Together, they encounter a world of even more scarcity, but one filled with politics and intrigue. Cynthia struggles to return to the apartments and help the girls who are still there. Forced to reconcile her role in the destruction of these girls with the greater needs of the society to find any sustainable source of calories, Miss Tuttle makes one bad decision after another while she grapples with a mother who is growing more and more impatient with her mistakes. So this one seems post-apocalyptic. Yeah, almost dystopian. Yeah. Based on the description, I don't think it's. it sounds like it's going to be much of a freezer book. Um, but it does seem like it's going to be really interesting, thought-provoking kind of stories. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested about the dynamic with all the girls. And it looks like there's definite rules they have to live by. And then you have uh, what sounds like to me quite the inner conflict between the main character of, you know, doing what's right for people and her own personal feelings. So, yeah, it's, it seems like it's going to be more of a deeper title from what the description tells me anyway. Um yeah, I look forward to picking it up. A book I'm really excited about is actually nonfiction. Ooh. Yeah. It's called Monster She Wrote, The Women Who Pioneered Horror and Speculative Fiction by Lisa Kroger. And this is coming out September 17th from Quirk Books. Weird fiction wouldn't exist without the women who created it. Meet the female authors who defied convention to craft some of literature's strangest tales and why their own stories are equally intriguing. Everyone knows about Mary Shelley, creator of Frankenstein. But have you heard of Margaret Cavendish, who wrote a science fiction epic 150 years earlier? Have you read The Psychological Hauntings of Violet Paget, who was openly involved in a long-term romantic relationship with women in the Victorian era? Or the stories of Gertrude Barrows Bennett, whose writing influenced H.P. Lovecraft? Monster She Wrote shares the stories of women, past and present, who invented horror, speculative, and weird fiction and made it great. You'll meet celebrated icons such as Anne Radcliffe, V.C. Andrews, forgotten wordsmiths like Eli Coulter and Ruby Jean Jensen, and today's vanguard like Helen Oyoyemi. And each profile includes a curated reading list so you can seek out spine-chilling tales that interest you the most. Okay, just every single thing about this is yes to me. <laughs> I was like, yes, that, yes, that and yes, right. please. <laughs> this couldn't be more up my alley. And I'm loving that they have reading lists for everyone and little biographies and snippets and what they contributed. I am so stoked for this one. Yeah, it's a very underserved part of the history of horror. The, the role of women in horror has been, and specifically in horror, women have really been overlooked. And they contribute so much to the origins, to the development. Grady Hendrick said it in Paperbacks from Hell, something along the lines of that, you know, women. And he said, like, horror belongs to women or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Women have been pivotal to what horror has become and how it began. So it's nice to see, you know, someone work coming at kind of highlighting that and educating people that may not have been may not have been privy to that information beforehand. Mm-hmm. And because it's quirk, we know it's going to be like a pretty book. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah, no one's going to dis- no one's going to argue that Quirk's aesthetics are on point, as the young people would say. Actually, I think that slang isn't even like a thing people say anymore. I'm behind. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> that's like that's like my generation. So that's, so that's like two generations back. Your generation did not say on point. It Shut totally up. did. You guys said like psych. <laughs> No duh. Yeah, no duh. And what's up? Oh, and that was not my generation. That was scary movies, Budweiser <laughs> commercial. No. <laughs> no was up for me. That was before my time. That was after my time. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, next up we have A Cosmology of Monsters by Sean Hamill. It comes out September 17th from Knopf Doubleday. Noah Turner sees monsters. His father saw them and built a shrine to them with the Wandering Dark an immersive horror experience that the whole family operates. His practical mother has caught glimpses of terrors, but refuses to believe, too focused on keeping the family from falling apart. And his eldest sister, the dramatic and vulnerable Sydney, won't admit to seeing anything but the beckoning glow of the spotlight, until it swallows her up. Noah Turner sees monsters, but, unlike his family, Noah chooses to let them in. Stephen King said, If John Irving ever wrote a horror novel, it would be something like this. I loved it. Okay, that's high praise. That's high praise coming from the king. I've actually read this one. You have? Yeah, I got it on Edelweiss like a, a bit ago because I liked the cover. So how was it? I really enjoyed it. Um, I will say a little more of a room temperature read, but still very interesting if you like stories about families and relationships. And if you like... It's interesting because like the first half of it is really about this family and how this thing affects each of the members of this family and then when it gets later in the book they really bring in the supernatural fantastical element so it was very interesting so i'm saying you have to be prepared for that yeah this is another one like the last one i read that kind of gives me a more psychological and reflective vibe than a scary vibe yeah so next book we're talking about i am also looking forward to how to survive a horror movie by seth graham smith and this is coming out september 24th from quirk books be afraid be very afraid from ghosts vampires and zombies to serial killers cannibalistic killbillies and haunted japanese video cassettes how to survive a horror movie shows how to defeat every obstacle found in scary films readers will discover how to perform an exorcism What if you did do something last summer? How to persuade the skeptical local sheriff. How to vanquish a murderous doll. How to survive an alien invasion. How to tell if you've been dead since the beginning of the movie. And much, much more. Complete with useful instructions, insane illustrations, and a list of 100 important films to study. How to Survive a Horror Movie is essential reading for prom queens, jocks, teenage babysitters, and anyone employed at a summer camp. So this is the horror genre equivalent of the zombie survival guide yes <laughs> it sounds so fun i am definitely going to get this also, i think this is on the top of the list of all these books of books i want to read <laughs> well i need to take notes i mean what if i find myself in one of these situations Devin? i have to know we'll see i i, I want to do it just to see you know i would use it more of like an exam for myself because i feel like i would know the stuff already i mean i've been i've been you know doing this horror thing for a long time i want to see what their their guide would line up with if one of my own whereas i feel like i need to i need to study up i want to grade this and then i'm going to tell you if i think it's a really good teaching tool and then we'll we'll put you through the course <laughs> i feel like it's just my personality though i feel like i need to be prepared for like all situations 
Like when I was in middle school, I don't know if I ever told you this, I became obsessed with the idea that my family was going to be in a plane crash (laughs) and we were going to be like in a lost slash castaway situation. So I literally saved up my money and bought a book on how to survive like on a desert island. (laughs) Nice. You're survivalist. Gotcha. (laughs) Because I was just convinced this was stuff I was going to need to know how to do. I do have high hopes, high expectations for this book too, especially with um, Seth Graham Smith. Yeah. So he did Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. He did Abe Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. And Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters. Yeah. He's been doing all these classics with the horror twists. So... He's really good at like tongue in cheek, but still very knowledgeable of the genre. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. So he knows his stuff. Yes. All right. So the next book we're going to talk about is the sole um, indie published book on the on the list. It is a Lasath by A. M. Kerbosh, and um, that comes out on the 30th of September. So. Lasath is a psychological horror novel that pays tribute to gothic fiction. In it, amateur journalist Greg travels to a remote mountain in to investigate rumors of a sinister building only to find himself in prison there. As he tries to escape, he evinces symptoms of a strange affliction and struggles to remain conscious while maintaining an uncertain hold on reality. It kind of yells at me, um, kind of like a Grave Encounters vibe if you've seen that movie journalists investigating this like kind of creepy uh building um and then struggles to survive as trying to hold on to his sanity of all the things that may or may not be happening whether it's actually happening not happening um how to get out i think psychological horror that pays tribute to gothic fiction is a decent way of summing this up from what i've read um it's another one that looks like it's going to be more of a Possibly an unreliable narrator, uh, slightly, and it's it's one, it seems to me, and this could go any way, but it seems to me it's going to be one of those where, again, the the idea is that you're questioning the reality of what's going on. Is this person kind of losing their mind, or is this insane stuff really happening while he's trying to hold on to his own sanity and trying to escape the situation he found himself in? So it's... It's not an uh, it's not a story we haven't heard before in horror, but again, this is one of those like broad kind of uh, narratives that is so indicative of the genre itself that it comes down to the author to put their own style and spin on it. And from the longer synopsis that's available, if you if you look it up, it feels like Kerbosh may have you know his own individual voice on this that should make this pretty interesting to read. Yeah, it looks and sounds interesting, but as for usual, the cover is what caught my attention. <laughs> yes. Like red, black, and white, minimal design. Yeah, it's an eye-catching cover that's meant to literally just catch the eye, but not necessarily give you any indication of the story itself, and it's hoping to get you the into the story. And it's hoping to get you to check out the story itself without giving away too much. I fall for it every time. My next book is just going to have a black cover with white text, and it's going to be the title, and that's it. I'm going to be like, what is it? <laughs> and it's going to be a rom-com. Yes. That's the true horror. So next up, we are talking about The Influence by Ramsey Campbell. This will be coming out in October from Flame Tree Press. This is actually going to be a reprint. This book came out in 1989, but it's going to be a Netflix movie. Nice. Sometimes evil refuses to die. Rowan's great-aunt Queenie is dead. 
After all the misery she caused her family while she was alive, most of them are secretly relieved. The queenie did not want to die, and she will do anything to live again, including possessing young Rowan. She haunts the child's nightmares, taking her over bit by chilling bit. As her soul is drawn inexorably into a cold darkness, can Rowan hope to reclaim her life from the evil dead? I could see this being a very good movie. Yeah, I'll admit Ramsey Campbell's not an author that I'm familiar with, even though he's been doing it for a long time. So I'll be interested to look into this one. So it sounds interesting. I'll definitely check it out. It's another one of these, like, kind of type of story that we've heard over and over, like, frequently within the genre. Um, But this is an older title, too. So the fact that it's getting a reprint, it's getting a movie. I I would venture that this is probably one of the the earlier titles that kind of did this kind of thing. So um, I'll be interested to see how the movie updates it as well as you know reading this this reprint because like i said this is one i haven't seen before ramsey campbell is a name i've heard but that's the extent of it so this is a good reason to uh to pick up one of his work i have some of his books but i think i've only read one and this brings us to the resident creature horror aficionado of the genre uh hunter shea he has a new book coming out in october by the name of slash published by flame tree press Five years after Ashley King survived the infamous resort massacre, she's found hanging in her basement by her fiancé, Todd Matthews. She left behind clues as to what really happened that night, clues that may reveal the identity of the killer the press has called the Wraith. With the help of his friends, Todd goes back to the crumbling Hayden Resort, a death-tinged ruin in the Catskills Mountains. What they find is a haunted history that's been lying in wait for a fresh set of victims, the Wraith is back, and he's nothing what they expected. So reading this, it initially sounds like, okay, Hunter is not necessarily going into the, the creature horror well on this one. Um, it's more, It could just be like a, a, a killer. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that added part at the end of the Wraith is back, and he's nothing what they expected, leads me to believe, because this is a Hunter Shea book, that this is going to be something a little more feral than initially it com- it seems to be so you think it's a non-human killer using the word the wraith itself is very very interesting like a wraith is um kind of like a bad omen it's like a ghost but it's it's you see it um and it's, it's supposed to bring death or supposed to symbolize death coming something that's, that's these are what wraiths are so that that's a very cool nickname for what could be a really cool creature, but um, Hunter Shay is something we and Steph have read a couple of titles from already, um, mainly for the creature horror episode, and yeah, this it sounds like it's just gonna be another really you know solid addition to his bibliography, so that's one I'll be looking forward to as well. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. And then there's the remaking by Clay McLeod Chapman. This comes out October 8th from Quirk Books. Ella Louise has lived in the woods surrounding Pilots Creek, Virginia for nearly a decade. Publicly, she and her daughter Jessica are shunned by their upper crust family and the Pilots Creek residents. Privately, desperate townspeople visit her apothecary for a cure to what ails them. Until Ella Louise is blamed for the death of a prominent customer. Accused of witchcraft, both mother and daughter are burned at the stake in the middle of the night. Ella Louise's burial site is never found, but the little girl has the most famous grave in the South. 
a steel, reinforced coffin surrounded by a fence of interconnected white crosses. Their story will take the shape of an urban legend as it's told around a campfire by a man, forever marked by his boyhood encounters with Jessica. Decades later, a boy at that campfire will cast Amber Pendleton as Jessica in a 70s horror movie inspired by The Witch Girl of Pilot's Creek. Amber's experience on that set and its meta remake in the 90s will ripple through pop culture, ruining her life and career as she becomes the target of a witch hunt. Amber's best chance to break the cycle of horror comes when a true crime investigator tracks her down to interview her for his popular podcast. But will this final act of storytelling redeem her, or will it bring the story full circle, ready to be told once again, and again, and again? This is like about a story that gets like more powerful like every time it's retold and remade, but it looks like it's also a commentary on horror remakes. And like the cover looks like that the infinity symbol like snake eating its tail shape but it's like a film canister and film you got my attention you definitely got my attention um i'm very hit and miss with with meta horror and i know i praised it up last episode when we're talking with riley that you know what scream did bringing meta to the genre was such a good thing and i believe that it was but meta is so rough sometimes when people get lost in making it so meta and getting away from the genre so clay mcleod chapman i don't think necessarily has that issue um so i am i'm I'm pretty hyped for this when things identify themselves as meta i go into it with at least a a bit of weariness a little hesitation but i'm definitely excited for this so yeah this one we'll have to wait and see see how it is but it's one i'll be reading i'll definitely be reading it and now We are going to look at a lady by the name of Kathleen Kaufman. Um, Her new book, Diabol, comes out October 1st from Turner Publishing. Diabol is the story of cults, exorcisms, and the devil in 1980s era Los Angeles. Kate Robinson, age 10, is the next matriarch to the society. A cultish, matriarchal group living in an inconspicuous cul-de-sac in Venice Beach. When Kate's mother is attacked by spirits from the old world, a failed exorcism results in Kate's exile into a foster care system in Los Angeles. She eventually lands in the infamous McLaren Hall, a very real and historical auspicious center for disturbed and abandoned children in El Monte, California. Diabol is the sympathetic story of the devil in Los Angeles, exploration of the true nature of evil, and how intention colors what our definition of wickedness truly is. Kate grows into a force of nature as she contains the potential and mythology of the darkest degree, but discovers that perhaps the devil is not what they should truly fear. I'm here for 1980s Los Angeles and matriarchal devil cults. It's almost like satanic panic. Yeah. Um, Except for I'm getting sympathy for the devil vibes coming from the back half of that description. Yes. So it's... This is one that, again, that could go kind of either way. Um, It sounds kind of like the other ones I've read so far this episode of more psychological, more dive into human nature to intention, um, the true nature of evil, things like this, like higher, somewhat philosophical kind of thoughts. And it seems like you're going to try and get into stuff like this. Uh, So again, it could very well be a room temperature book more so than a freezer um and if done well it could be really interesting so it's definitely one that has uh, piqued my interest at least 
Yeah, I'm interested to read it. It's on my shelf right now. Next up, we have Those Who Came Before by J.H. Moncrief. And this is coming out October 10th from Flame Tree Press. People are dying at Strong Lake, and the worst is yet to come. An idyllic weekend camping trip is cut short when Reese Wallace's friends are brutally murdered. As the group's only survivor, Reese is the prime suspect, and his story doesn't make much sense. A disembodied voice warning him to leave the campground the night before, a strange blackened tree that gave him an electric shock when he cut it down for firewood, Detective Grey Eyes isn't having any of it, until she hears the voice herself and finds an arrowhead at the crime scene. An arrowhead she can't get rid of. Troubling visions of a doomed Native American tribe who once called the campground home. And rumors of a cursed land and a mythical beast plague the strangest murder case she's ever been a part of. Cursed Native American camping ground? Yeah. Here for it. Interested. And I think we talked about J.H. Moncrief in our Canada episode. Rachel recommended The Bear Who Wouldn't Leave by her. I do own a copy of Return to That Law of Past, but I haven't read it yet. It seems really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, it seemed kind of creature horror-y, but then it had this, like, modern take on it with, like, a podcast host. (laughs) Ooh. There's There's, like, an interesting element like that thrown into it that I was like, actually, I think I need to read this. Yeah, I really gotta get around to that one. So, yeah. Also, this one seems cool. (laughs) I was gonna say, yeah, we're talking about those who came before. So, yeah, just the Native American spin is... Again, a very tricky subject to get into, especially with like without going into um, tired like stereotypes. Um, but the way this is presented, I don't think we have much to worry about in this case. Um, I do love taking like creatures and and monsters from folklore, either whether it be Native American, whether it be just european or whatever like taking from folklore and that's what it sounds like this is it's a very folklore heavy kind of story so yeah i'm down and it comes out literally a week before my birthday so i am i have attachment with this i will be reading this i will be talking about this i'm sure hopefully and that's going to bring us to our next book which is by kill creek author scott thomas uh it comes out october the 15th and it's called violet When Chris Parker was 10 years old, her father brought her to their lake house and spent the last few weeks with her dying mother. It was one of the most difficult time of young Chris's life. Luckily, she had someone to help her through it, her imaginary friend, Violet. After her mother's death, Chris left the house. Now, 20 years later, Chris has returned to the lake house to recover from yet another family tragedy. With her is her 8-year-old daughter, Sadie, but what is supposed to be a summer of healing soon becomes an odyssey of unspeakable horror, for Violet has been waiting gears to play with Chris again. So, I'm totally here for this trope. The imaginary friend uh, is or is not a real entity is something that I absolutely adore. Right down to something as goofy as Drop Dead Fred, or even as far as the Paranormal Activity series goes, where the first three movies, you have the, the playing into the imaginary friend of the little girl. That is... I'm, I'm here for this. I really like... Have we talked about this? We have. I really liked Paranormal Activity. I don't think we have. I think we've talked about... I have a fondness for found footage that you do not. <laughs> okay, no. It's, it's not that I don't have a fondness for it. It's that with the advent of found footage, you have 
you have so many so many uh, filmmakers or aspiring filmmakers thinking that oh well this is how you do good horror you just need to make a lot of noises and have a video camera and make a shaky cam yeah it can be done really well Mm -hmm. so for every grave encounters you have a saint francisville experiment for every you know blair witch project you have the devil inside for every paranormal activity one two and three there's the the rest of the series yeah i didn't watch past that i mean what what else is there is it like a like a ghost dimension i don't remember anyway it's best not to ask questions yeah (laughs) (laughs) like for real the once you get past the third paranormal activity movie um it kind of goes off the rails and they start trying to make this grander universe and oh it just it falls it falls apart so so horribly actually now now that we're talking about it this genre actually spawned what is probably the best robert de niro movie in hide and seek where you have dakota fanning and her imaginary friend and it's really tense very much so enjoyed that so this is a a genre i love okay um i i don't know if i can be friends with you anymore wait what (laughs) why oh my god what do you mean what is you got something against hide and seek have you seen hide and seek yeah, I saw that one in theaters. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, what's the problem? I mean, Dakota Fanning was amazing in it as a child <laughs> actress. Um, I love Robert De Niro. The, the twist was okay. The, the ending could have been better, but and I really enjoyed it. What are, what are you talking about? That was a great movie. That was a terrific, underappreciated movie. I'm sorry, you're telling me in a world where there is Casino and Godfather 2 and Raging Bull, you think the height of Robert De Niro's career is hide and seek? A horror movie that literally no one remembers. No, see, people not remembering it does not make it a bad movie, okay? You are going to... I'm going to cry. <laughs> it looks good. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. Casino was a great movie. How about this? How about we just agree that it was Robert De Niro's best horror movie? Okay, I'll... Sure, I'll give you that because I can't, I can't think of any other ones. Okay, agreed. <laughs> Waiting for my blood pressure to go down. But uh, <laughs> next up is 12 Nights at Rotter House by J.W. Ocker. This is coming out November 19th from Turner Publishing. Felix Osley is a travel writer with a keen eye for the paranormal, and he's carved out a unique, if only slightly lucrative, niche for himself in nonfiction. He writes travelogues of the country's most haunted places after haunting them himself. When he convinces the owner of the infamous Rotterdam Mansion, Rotterdam, when he convinces the owner of the infamous Rotterdam Mansion to let him stay on the premises for 13 nights, he believes he's finally found the location that will bring him a bestseller. As with his other gigs, he sets rules for himself. No leaving the house for any reason, refrain from outside contact, and sleep during the day. When Thomas Ruth, Felix's oldest friend and fellow horror film obsessive, joins him on the project. The two dance around a recent and unspeakably painful rough patch in their friendship, but eventually fall into their old rhythms of dark humor and movie trivia. That's when things start going wrong. Screams from upstairs, figures in the thresholds, and more than what should be in any basement. Felix realizes the book he's writing and his very state of mind is tilting from nonfiction into all-out horror. The question is, in Rotterhouse, who's haunting who? So there's a lot of things in here that I'm excited about. Yes, for haunted houses, but also for this tension within this friendship. Like, you know, I'm here for like 
relationships that have like a little bit of a rift in them and like testing the limits of those relationships and like situations like this putting pressure on those tender points in those relationships like i'm here for it <laughs> and it seems like ocker is using a um a very powerful uh literary tool when it comes to writing tension and writing suspense and that is putting it on a clock um you know having the story take place over 12 days 13 days whatever the case may be it, be, it lets the reader know that there is a climax coming so this this allows them to like ramp up tension even more and the closer you get to that 13th night the more suspenseful it gets for the reader because you even though the characters may not know you know that the time for this book is coming to an end um and there's only so much time to wrap it all up so it's a very common device used to to ramp up tension and it's really effective in horror so i'm looking forward to see what he does with it here yep it sounds good and that's going to bring us to our last anticipated read of 2019, a title by the name of Dead Girls Club, written by Damien Angelica Walters. Uh, this is coming out from Crooked Lane Books. It is released on the 10th of December. Damien is the author of Cry Your Way Home. And she was the author of, I think it was called Floating Girls, a documentary. And it was my favorite story in the Fright or Flight anthology that came out last year. In 1991, Heather Cole and her friends were members of the Dead Girls Club. Obsessed with the macabre, the girls exchanged stories about serial killers and imaginary monsters. Like the Red Lady, the spirit of a vengeful witch killed centuries before. Heather knew the stories were just that until her best friend Becca began insisting the Red Lady was real, and she could prove it. That belief got Becca killed. It's been nearly 30 years, but Heather has never told anyone what really happened that night, that Becca was right and the Red Lady was real. She's done her best to put that fateful summer, Becca, and the Red Lady behind her, until a familiar necklace arrives in the mail, a necklace Heather hasn't seen since the night Becca died. The night... Heather killed her. Now, someone else knows what she did, and they're determined to make Heather pay. Alright, so I'm getting a mystery, horror, um, Bloody Mary versus I Know What You Did Last Summer kind of vibe coming off this. At least, at least that's my uh, first impression here. Kind of, yes. I'm actually in the middle of this one right now. Um, and it's a it's a little bit it's got that thriller thing where it's going back and forth in time so you're seeing Heather in modern day and you know we go back to 1991 and we hear how this like red lady story affected her relationship with Becca and everything and yes you're basically absolutely right it's a bloody mary meets a murder mystery and up until this point I don't know if the you know ending is going to be supernatural or not and I am very much enjoying it yeah, like it's it strikes me as okay, are we going to when it says Heather killed Becca, did Heather physically kill Becca? Um did Heather do something to the red lady to cause Becca to be killed? Um there's so many different vague interpretations of what we just read there to give a little bit of intrigue going into the story. Basically, I'm like I'm like yes, I don't want to give too much away. So, this will be coming out December 10th. <laughs> All right, it's Chilling Obsession time, Steph. So uh, what do you got for us? My Chilling Obsession this week is the new Suspiria. 
So I finally watched it after seeing online that there was, you know, mixed reviews. People felt differently about it. And after having seen it, I will say not for everyone. It is, after all, three hours long. So I think feel like that's something you should know before you go into this. Um, it's, I wouldn't say a remake, more of a reimagining. We still have the same setting as far as time and place, like, you know, 80s Berlin. And some of the characters have the same names. You know, it is at a dance school. Um, I would say the horror element is the same. I don't want to spoil it in case you haven't seen the original Suspiria. Uh, but yeah, it goes a very different direction with it. And I liked it. It's got a lot of body horror, but there is some, you know, I'm not going to say it's like super fast paced. Like it, it's it's a journey you got to take with it. You got to earn that body horror scenes, you know? Well, of course. I mean, they can't give it away for free. So I will say, yeah, the the climax is bonkers and horrifying enough to make up for the slow pacedness of it for most of the time. Uh, But I thought it was beautiful and I like dance horror and I'm always here for like female centered stories. Um, So this one had Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton and Chloe Grace Moretz. And as I put on Twitter, I related to Dakota Johnson because I also would do anything for Tilda Swinton to like me. That was the new Suspiria. Uh, and for this week on My Chilling Obsession, I'm actually going to take a page out of Steph's book and talk about something that is advertised on Shudder. Uh, this is going to line up a little bit with the monster she wrote story that Steph mentioned earlier on our anticipated reads. Um, and this is a documentary called Horror Noir. This was directed by Xavier Bergen. Um, It features pretty much every African-American actor you could possibly think of that was featured heavily within the horror genre. Um, You have Keith David. uh, You have Candyman Tony Todd. You have Jordan Peele. You have uh, Tanarive Dew. And what it does, it dissects the role of the African-American from the early stages of horror to where they are now, going from red shirts and expendable and useless kind of throwaway characters that are there for fodder right up to these days where now they are the hero and the heroine um i think it's a very i think it's a very well done timeline of how far we've come within the genre itself and with just as storytellers and i think it's a really good reflection on how horror kind of itself is a reflection of the world that we live in i mean you could kind of say that about most media but i find horror is kind of tapped in more with with the the, with the psyche the things that we fear the things that scare us i think that is the more sincere and organic kind of portrayal of what is going on within our own minds within our own persons so seeing the the journey of african-american actors and characters from the early stages of horror and film to where we are now was you know simply fascinating for me so i would highly recommend it um i think it's a good companion piece to go like i said with monster she wrote which is the book steph mentioned earlier which i feel like is like the written equivalent when it comes to looking at the role women played in horror um pairing it with this documentary on how african-americans people of color have played within the genre is just an interesting if not educational experience so yeah my chilling obsession this this week is horror noir you can find that on shutter 
time for book club. Uh, so we are finishing up Blinky by Keelan Patrick Burke. Let me see. So um, we have our live show coming up for $3 and up Patreon supporters. That is on the last Sunday of every month. And we're going to be talking about Blinky by Keelan Patrick Burke. But if you want to know what the August pick is, it is my turn. So I picked The Switch House by Tim Meyer. It is a novella because novellas are nice and summer is busy. Life is busy. <laughs> So we're still feeling the effects of no one gets it alive, aren't we? Yes, I am. I'm still like very much burnt out by that. And I didn't even finish it. So I'm sorry. I feel like taking it easy on everyone. Uh, but anyway, Switch House. Congratulations. You've won a role on Let's Switch Houses. Your life is going to change. We promise your dreams will come true. Everything you've ever wanted. We have it. This is a chance of a lifetime. Come inside. Switch with us. Angela and Terry return home after several grueling months of filming the popular television show, Let's Switch Houses, only to find their residence in ruin. Sure, the decor and frame photographs are the same. The color of the walls hasn't changed. The furniture sits unmoved. But something is off. Their quiet New Jersey home feels tainted. Angela can sense it. Crawling inside her, infecting her mind, poisoning her thoughts. Then the nightmares begin. Awful, lucid visions that cause her to question her own reality. What happened at 44 Trenton Road while she was gone? What did she do? That bizarre woman who claims she can communicate with the beyond. Who is she exactly? Angela aims to find out, but the further she investigates, the deeper into madness she descends. How far will she travel before she loses the trail of clues? Or worse, before she loses her mind. The Switch House is a short novel for fans of supernatural thrillers with a dark twist. Includes three bonus short stories. Yeah. So I believe this is available on Kindle Unlimited. And like I said, it is a novella. Awesome. Yes, it is. It is on Kindle Unlimited. And it is 187 pages. There is an audiobook available. No, it sounds, sounds good. Sounds quite enjoyable. <laughs> Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. We are on Patreon at Books in the Freezer. I am Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at That's What She Read. That's That's with two A's. Or on YouTube at That's What She Read. Just spelled normally. And I'm Devin. You can find me on Twitter at Insomni Reads. Or you can find me uh, streaming horror games on Twitch at Indie Insomniac. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 